0: You're listening to WALT. Homemade radio. From WALT, you're listening to Fisher Family Ghosts.
1: A companion podcast for Six Feet Under. I'm Sam Dingman. I'm Adrian Bain. Oh, you didn't record that.
0: I did not record that, and I think that was
1: gem of banter. Like, what is this episode now?
0: I mean, what we've done right here out of the gate is introduce a question into the listener's mind. What did I miss? How magical was it?
1: I'm. Gl- I really like that you're giving our audience an instant sense of FOMO, of like. You can't be in on our relationship all the time, guys. So much magic happens in between.
0: It is possible that some people listening are thinking, I'm good on the relationship stuff.
1: (laughs) Wait, people like don't want to just hop into bed with us? Like, that's what I kind of thought that this was. We do sleep with a mic in between each other. (laughs) Every night we tuck it in. Sam reads it Harry Potter because he's reading Harry Potter for the first time, like a fucking weirdo.
0: This is true. In my defense... But
1: I'm watching The Wire for the first time, so I feel like tit for tat. Mm, not the same.
0: What did you know about Six Feet Under before we started?
1: Literally nothing. Only that it had...
0: You just knew, like, funeral home, right? Yeah, I
1: knew that it had something to do with death and a funeral home. But I really didn't go beyond that. I did not grow up in a cable household. So all cable stuff was pretty inaccessible i guess i was downloading stuff illegally <laughs> am i allowed to say that on this
0: i mean I, I you're putting yourself into a very large club so i think i it's was okay.
1: streaming stuff online
0: i never actually did any of that
1: what how did you not do any of that
0: i feel i'm gonna sound so pious and silly
1: you always do, so it's not that Fair. abnormal.
0: Kind of my brand.
1: <laughs> it is, but it's so sweet.
0: Um, I had this idea in my head that if, if this is what I choose to give my attention to, I should also give my, and I can afford it, I should also give my money to it.
1: Wow, you're an artist's artist.
0: I wow. would like to think so.
1: I feel like I've always been in the broke artist camp, which has allowed me to justify my... Sometimes not so. I don't know, but I was mostly in college, and then Netflix came around, and I just gleaned up my mom's password, and then the rest was history. Right. And now I just glean your HBO passwords, <laughs> and Hulu, and Peacock, and oh, we have someone else's Disney Plus.
0: Yes, that's true. We have someone else's Disney Plus.
1: But mm, so I guess yes. I'm a
0: total hypocrite. And I also don't want this to come across as judgy because oh, it totally does though. So. You're like Norse out of barn Um,
1: (laughs) he is running away
0: (laughs) but i do i don't know i guess i feel like it's better for artists overall yes for other artists to engage with what they made even if they can't afford to pay for it and i think most artists would feel that way i think most artists would feel like i would rather an artist who doesn't have enough money to pay for an HBO subscription, find a way to watch the show, and feel inspired to make their own work. And that's
1: a moral high ground that I don't think many of us have.
0: The rest will take care of itself somehow. No, I'm serious. Like
1: I believe you. You
0: know, I, but think, I, I think, think most artists would say that that's the most important thing to them. As long as, Ooh. as long as they have been compensated, right? I think they just want the work to reach ears or eyes or hearts. It's complicated. I just always felt like if I can afford it, I should. And and it is something that I choose to honor with my attention, I should pay for it. I feel like this is but coming my, across as me like lecturing you. I don't I'm not I don't
1: That's what it feels like. But um
0: <laughs> <laughs> No.
1: I feel spoken down to and that you think less of me. No. And no. that I'm not a good artist no. because I liked so, no, I, I feel like there's a rift in our relationship now that can never be mended. and um, <laughs> Great. And it's just that's how it's going to have to be from now on because I refuse to speak any more of it.
0: We started this by saying <laughs> that people probably didn't want to hear any more about our relationship, and you have now heard what may well be the end of it.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Anyways, we should start the episode. <laughs>
0: this episode is Season 1, Episode 7. It's called The Brotherhood. Brotherhood. Where do you think we're going? We'll find out. Scotch? Uh, no, thank you. Clark thought he came out a little too strong with you. I liked him, Jack. I think the world would be a better place if there were more men like him. I just don't think that he's a good fit for St. Bart's. Do you really think that Father Clark would be happy here? Why should he be happy? How happy are you? You're right, I'm not happy. My life is very complicated and confusing. I've experienced a lot of loss recently. My father and my... And the one thing that helps me to deal with it is having a place that hasn't changed like everything else in my life. There's a reason they call it a sanctuary. And we're back. Oh, my God. (laughs) I think... You have said, "Oh my god," or "I'm exhausted" at the beginning of every single one of these conversations. (laughs) I
1: was this the first one that made me cry. I got, I got like the most like choked up. I didn't. There were no tears, but for some reason, the the vet really got me.
0: Hmm. What do you What do you think that was? I don't. Let's see if we figure it out while we're we're talking about it. Yeah. Let's start at the very beginning.
1: A very good place to start.
0: Speaking of the vet, we see the home video footage, Mm -hmm. which I thought was a pretty incredible act of misdirection.
1: I agree with you. I thought that was a very astute observation, Mr. Dingman. Thank
0: you, Moira Rose. (laughs) I know. It is actually. That impression is getting good.
1: Samuel.
0: <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> I kind of like it. <laughs> um, At this point, you're seven episodes in. Yep. You know that the character you're introduced to at the beginning is toast.
1: Honestly, I forget every time.
0: Really? And I'm like. Come on. I'm really? always
1: like, this person in the... Oh, right, they... It always takes me, like, ten seconds to be like, I've never seen this person before. Every
0: episode, you're like, oh, no character. Truly,
1: truly. I'm always like, why are we... Oh, right, (laughs) right, right, right." It. I don't know what it is. I get, like, amnesia.
0: So did you or did you not think that the tent was going to explode in a ball of fire? totally.
1: Totally. I wasn't expecting it... Us to be watching the video. We weren't watching the making of.
0: I thought, one... It was really effective that they showed that opening video was clearly shot on real home video yeah. grain film. Yeah. If you call that film tape, whatever. And it felt extremely real. Yeah. It, it felt like it didn't feel like a character in a thing. It felt like a soldier in a tent. Yeah. And it was very affecting. And it for me, it made me so nervous that he was about to get blown to smithereens but then it was so much more powerful that his death was actually this quiet, know. solitary, as we later learn, sick passing. Mm-hmm. That, I think, is one of those things that the show, for all the times we talk about how the show leans into stereotypes and goes obvious sometimes, every once in a while they make a move like that that feels genuinely surprising, surprising I think. Mm-hmm. So what did you make of it when Nate surprises himself by saying I love you to Brenda?
1: <gasps> I know. Okay, can we let's mm-hmm, go. That
0: was that was the question.
1: I feel like we need to do a big talk on Nate and Brenda. Oh yeah. Big talk. Okay. Does it's su- a was I surprised how did I feel about it?
0: What 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 came up for you in that moment?
1: I guess I was a little bit confused as to like she still was like, oh, you see me as your girlfriend? Like, what? And it's like, Brenda, has it not been established? Like, I was under the impression that this was, like, where things were.
0: You gave him the keys, Brenda.
1: literally gave him the keys. So, like, he's able to come into your house at four in the morning and, like, fall asleep next to you. Mm-hmm. That's not, like, a casual thing
0: and when she's feeding him breakfast after he wakes up you point it out and and you know she puts it in his mouth and they kiss and he's like oh my shirt doesn't smell good right you point it out I was, oh they're in a, a regular relationship now
1: yeah they felt like very comfortable with each other where you know like there's that little grooming that you do and there's just like shoulders drop. And mm. you're not putting on airs anymore, but you're still, like, very infatuated with that person. Why are you looking at me like this? You're still very, like, infatuated <laughs> with that person. I felt like we had less of, like, Brenda trying to be the cool girl. I felt like we had less of Brenda putting up walls and, I- like, just poking her head over the wall. Be- and I felt like she was she was there, and then he said the I love you, and she was like, oh, And maybe she's just never been there before. Well. Or let herself be there.
0: I thought it was interesting. She says this thing really quickly about the trip. She says, well, what if we get sick of each other? I
1: know. I noticed that too. And I was like, why would you be sick of each other? I've spent literally every single day next to you Uh for 10 months. (laughs) And I haven't been sick of you once. And knock on wood, I'm kind of nervous now. But like. (laughs) Again, might not make it to the next episode. Um, it was
0: tempting to say, but you have counted the months, but I'd take your point.
1: <laughs> no, I've counted the pandemic. Yeah. I'm very confused as to why we're not sick of each other, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> like, that's more thats more the thing we should be looking into. So, okay. I want to get back to the Brendan-Nate relationship. Because she definitely... I don't... From what we've inferred from her past relationships... I don't think she's ever made it here. I I think that she's either always found, like, guys are like, she's just pushed them away. She thinks that she's too much or whatever. And Nate is like, I'm fucking into this. And I like you. And I like your sassy personality. Even if you are, like, a little exhausting at times, the sex is great.
0: And he's not scared off by Billy.
1: And he's not scared off by Billy. Like, Even when Billy was having a fucking episode, Nate collected himself and said, how can I help?
0: He did. Because he knew
1: that was the right move.
0: Since we're talking about it, let's jump ahead to the end. Because I think the answer to this question lies in that last scene. I think what she's afraid of is becoming codependent with Nate. Because Hmm. I think from what we have gathered, it seems like she has two models of relationships. Her relationship with Billy, which is emotionally very intimate and open and real. Yeah. But not sexual.
1: Yeah.
0: And men who run away every time it seems like it's about to become emotionally open and Mm -hmm. vulnerable and real. Mm -hmm. And as we were talking about, as the episode was airing, Brenda totally overreacts in that last scene with Nate. She's like, just go to the desert, forget about us. Yeah. She basically accuses him of being dismissive of her when he wasn't. He didn't say anything about that. As you pointed out, he said, How can I help? Yeah. So I think it's very messed up because Billy does seem to take advantage of her emotional availability a lot. But she at least knows that she can trust that Billy's going to be there for her.
1: Oof. But is Billy ever there for her? She's always cleaning up his mess. He's always vaulting into her life. He's always saying, I need you. That's true. I feel like she doesn't have the energy to to give to another man. I think that Billy really sucks a lot of the air out of the room. Mm -hmm. And a lot of emotional energy that she could be putting towards a healthy relationship. So.
0: That is true that he sucks air out of the room. Every time he walks into a scene, my thought is, oh no.
1: I know. And part of me is like, in the beginning I didn't like Brenda and then I started liking her because she put those walls down and now I'm like, fuck Billy. Every time he enters the room, I'm like, I don't want to deal with you. Mostly because I really don't like what he did to Claire. And I get that he's bipolar.
0: Yeah, we should. It's you know he he is ill. It's I not like oh, he's, he's being this way sick. on purpose.
1: He knows that like if Brenda goes away with another man, then she can't be with him all the time.
0: Right. Yeah. There's self interest there too. I'm yeah. sure. Also. Yeah. I actually thought that whole scene was really beautifully handled because mm-hmm. Billy's the state that that Billy is in wasn't played over the top. No. It was clear that he really was in okay, crisis yeah. and everybody's motivations there. Everybody is really seeing each other very clearly in that scene. And it's heartbreaking.
1: Wait, do you think, what do you mean by that? Everyone's seeing each other clearly.
0: Nobody flies off the handle. I mean, I guess, except Brenda kind of, Yeah. but it's understandable why She's... she does in this, a very mo- emotionally loaded moment. It's not, I guess what I mean is it's not played. That's another example, I think, in this episode where they did not make the easy choice.
1: Right. They didn't sensationalize it. Yeah. They didn't have him, like, throwing beer cans and everything. He was just like, I'm being super obsessive right now and I need you.
0: He wasn't about to, like, self-harm. Exactly. To add unnecessary stakes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also reminded in this moment that this is another example of... Ostensibly, I should know where the Brenda and Nate storyline goes after this, because I watched the show. But the further we get uh, into this, and having just watched the episode last week about Nathaniel's secret room, I'm realizing that's mostly what I remember, is that I love that scene.
1: (laughs) Wait, so we have to do four and a half more seasons of this for one shot that we've already seen?
0: Yes, because we're having such a wonderful time. (laughs)
1: <laughs> interesting that's how you're interpreting it right mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Huh. Okay.
0: I see what I choose to see
1: <laughs> I know you sound like my father <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh boy
1: Ugh. Um. Uh. let's talk about Ruth oh my god do you see those shoes
0: <laughs> okay wait before we talk about the shoes can we talk about how she goes to Nikolai's flower shop yo what she... is
1: up with that can I be honest I think that Brenda I'm sorry I think that Ruth is like I think she's I think she's playing both.
0: Mm. I think she's
1: playing both a little bit. Playing
0: Hiram against Nikolai.
1: A little bit.
0: Well, what did you make know. of what did you make of the fact that she said to Nikolai, "I'm good with people." I don't feel like we've seen a lot of evidence of Ruth being good with people.
1: That's totally true. But also, we haven't seen Ruth be part of the business. Like she's not part of the business anymore. It's the brothers. So I'm sure that she was very good with people and when she was more in the business.
0: And she probably has not been given a lot of chances to be yeah. good with people. And
1: also, I don't think she knows what her good with people really means. Because like she was weeping into a like bouquet of hyacinths at the end, right. she only knows how to handle people in times of crisis and sorrow. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know how to handle people in, like, times of celebration. So mm-hmm. I think that that, like, Ruth cracked, like, a little bit, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that's really good. But, and I do think that from the episode, that from that one clip that we saw of her helping that one woman figure out her wedding bouquet, I think we see that Ruth is very good with yeah. people.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so I guess the reason I'm, Asked the question is because I think the scene where she goes to the flower shop is it's either right after or it's very close to Nate and David are having an argument in front of the refrigerator about the fact that Nate wants to take the weekend off and they're really getting into it with each other and Ruth just doesn't engage with either of them. She just waits for a silence to say Hiram's coming over for dinner and he's going to be cooking dinner. And it's very not, it's very disengaged. It it just struck me as not a I'm good with people moment. It struck me as a...
1: I don't think that she's great with her kids right now, though. Because she's, like, they're at a point now where... They're all just adults who hang out with each other and she happened to give birth with them. Like she's at that stage where she doesn't need to be taken care of yet, but her kids are autonomous beings. So like she's just kind of dealing with them as these roommates.
0: And th- you know? that's true. Her chil- two of her children are living in her house.
1: They're I guess mates living. living there too. They're yeah. They're all living there. Her
0: kids are living in her house, eating her cooking. Yeah. And she has spent her whole life putting everybody else first. Yeah. So I take it back. I take back the underlying intention of my question being based on that refrigerator moment. I feel like it is more this thing that it's what you're saying. It's that they're all adults now. And she's tired of putting everybody else's needs first just because that's what's expected.
1: Right. And the boys are fighting. And if they were what? Seven and five, she probably would have intervened. But now she's like, wait, what's their age difference? I guess if Nate's... Four years, I think. Yeah, so like, yeah, as a 35 and a 31-year-old, she's like, they can handle it themselves. And she just needed a moment of being like, I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. If you want my food tonight, or Hiram's food. If you want
0: my award-winning chef boyfriend's food. I
1: know. What do we think about the dinner scene? I thought it was a really interesting move that they had Brenda come, like.
0: I thought it was interesting, too, and then I felt at the end, like, they're kind of teeing us up for, it's like Brenda almost doesn't realize how non-codependent they maybe are because she's able to come over. And hang right. out with the family by herself, even though there's bad blood between her and Ruth.
1: She literally said when when David was like, oh, Nate's not here. I don't know where she is. She was like, I can live without him. Right. You know? Yeah. So I think that you're right. I think you're really tapping into the codependency thing of her being like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Because I think her brother is ab- – it is abundantly obvious that her brother is codependent on her. And she's like, that's the last thing I want with a real relationship. Yeah. So if anything, she has to, ugh, poor Brenda.
0: And I'm not saying Nate has it all figured out because Brenda says, why don't you come over? And Nate says, I can't do it. It'll add an hour to my drive. And then he just caves instantly. He's like, never mind. I'll follow you. Yeah. So they're both working on it.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, that's true. I don't think it's that Nate and Brenda are codependent. I think it's that Brenda fears it.
1: I second that.
0: Because she knows- That her dynamic with Billy is not calibrated well.
1: Totally. It's very deleterious. It's a good word. Look at that S-E-T word, which they're basically canceling.
0: Oh, my goodness. Oh, I thought you were going to make a reference to Claire drawing a skull and crossbones on her scan. Oh,
1: <laughs> I thought that was amazing. Because she had this little projection of, like, all of these basic bitches having basic bitch or, and or very sad lives. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I don't want any of this. Yeah. And I kind of wish I knew that when I was that young. But that's really scary because everyone else around you is literally doing the same thing. Yeah. And they're like, I'll study marketing and communications and, uh, you know, end up marrying a lawyer.
0: I think it's really. doesn't love
1: me and neglects me on the weekends. You know, so like. Yeah. So I think she had this moment of like, I don't know what I want, but I know I don't want this.
0: I found it very compelling in this episode that Claire is so obsessed with the idea of that your life is supposed to mean something. And that's exactly what Victor, the soldier who passes away, is also seems to have been very concerned with.
1: It's also a dynamic about brothers too, but yes. this is a big one about meaning and a big one about brothers. Brothers in every sense of the way, Billy. Oh, right. Billy also.
0: Right, that's true. Brenda says, "I'm the only one who can help him. I'm the only one who knows what he wants. I know knows what he. She doesn't say I'm the only one who knows what he wants, but she seems to. She puts all be that responsibility herself. on herself. I'm the only one who gets him, mm-hmm. which is exactly what Paul does to Victor. But Paul the surviving brother of the soldier who dies
1: but he thinks that
0: right right he
1: thinks that and he, ev- he even I think that's what like I don't know why that one made me cry but like he thinks he knows what his brother wants but he's like a little bit more paternalistic about it and it's like no I'm going to tell you what you want because you're sick and I have to take care of you
0: well, if we think about it, I mean, these are murky waters to splash around in, but that's there are elements of that to the Billy and Brenda dynamic, too. A little bit. That Billy is sick, and mm. Brenda feels like, I'm the one who knows how to manage this. I'm the one who can.
1: Right, and it may or may not actually be helpful. Right. Yeah, Paul had, like, a weird fight because he was, like, so anti-army and was, like, the army fucked my brother over. He couldn't allow the two to coexist. He couldn't allow his brother to still have, like, very fond, proud moments, the proudest moment of his life.
0: And we don't know if this is what's behind it yet, but it does seem sort of like Brenda, who was placed so intensely under a microscope when she was young Mm -hmm. and, in her mind, overanalyzed seems like she wants to protect billy from Mm. or maybe wanted to protect billy from that or feels like she couldn't protect him from that there's maybe there's some i genuinely forget (laughs) but it seems like maybe there's some element of that
1: oh that's a good point too
0: happening here my favorite sort of lighter moment that is related to what we've been talking about here in terms of the protection of brothers and knowing what brothers want is Nate comes into David's room to say that Paul didn't know what Victor wanted and they're having a conversation about this and Nate says, here, I'll show you. And he goes to show him the videos. David's porn is still on. I know, I loved it. David is mortified. Nate is thrilled. I know. And he literally chases after him saying, I watch porn too. Yeah. And it seems like he's saying in with those words, I'm so excited. I know more about what you want.
1: Yeah. I guess this was kind of an episode of dealing with sibling sexuality because Billy also walks in on Ugh, yeah. Brenda and Nate doing some wild position. Something's going on. Something's going on. In that moment. were in places where I did not expect to see but I think that yeah this was a bit of a like oh this is what my sibling is into and I was kind of you know so like
0: although I, I that moment felt a little different to me because
1: oh totally well that was intrusive that and
0: was that very was like, intrusive
1: that was extremely they're seeing each Billy saw them in an extremely vulnerable moment Billy walks in on Brenda and Nate having sex Whereas Nate just walks in and like clicks on the video, and he's it's like if as if I opened my sister's laptop and there's port on it, and it's like I didn't catch her in the act, right? But it was happening relatively recently,
0: so but you didn't, you also didn't willfully walk into an uninvited moment,
1: also, totally. Also, the door is open, you can hear what they're doing, yeah. Like, I think. I see a lot of myself in Nate because we are, like, the excited older sibling who uh, I think that Nate is wants to talk to David about his sexuality and is like, I'm here for it, buddy. Like, I think that's great. I don't really care that you're into dudes. Like, whatever. And the middle child is always, like, you're too overbearing. <laughs> I'm projecting. Um,
0: well, and they can't really talk about anything else. They don't have anything else to talk about except work.
1: They don't have anything else to talk about except for work and family. That's totally true.
0: And at the end, Nate seems like he reaches a point where he decides, like, I just got to cut the trying to say it in other ways. And he just walks up to David and says, I love you.
1: Nate said two I love yous in this one.
0: Yes, he did. Yes,
1: he did. So, Are these the first I love yous?
0: I can't remember if there's any in the first I don't think there are any in the the first one. I don't think
1: Ruth ever says it. Which
0: is where you would imagine them.
1: Yeah, you're right. I think that David, sorry, Nate just wants to, like, kind of celebrate David a little bit. And David is, like, still not there yet. He's still not there of, like, accepting himself. And I think it's, I don't know, it's very confusing. I feel like David kind of picks and chooses when... He wants to be out. Is that a mean thing to say? I don't know if that's a mean thing to say.
0: Well, let's stay with David for a second because in the previous episode where they played music, there was the music montage at the end.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, weird.
0: David looks out at the road and he sees the cop car go by and he thinks maybe it's going to be Keith. And it turns out it's not Keith, which leaves us on this note of David misses Keith. Yeah, I know David misses Keith. And then we get nothing about it in this episode.
1: That's not true. When David is talking to the priest uh-huh. and he's like, I am grieving. So much in my life has changed. I've lost my father. I've lost my... I'm going through and I need oh, you're some right. consistency. You're right. I need some consistency in the congregation. He almost says it.
0: You're right. I loved that David moment. I did too. Because all of a sudden, it felt like I think I see David the most clearly that I've ever seen him in this moment, which is everyone in his entire life is trying to get him to change and be something different. Mm-hmm. And this is the one place where he's allowed to come rely on things not changing. Yeah, I don't relate to that necessarily, but all of, it just brought his whole character into focus for me. Like even all, he, that he's so held in ev- everything is perfect and I so know. crisp and angular and... No hair is out of place. I know.
1: I think he's a Virgo with a Capricorn rising. I
0: was thinking the same thing. Thoughts I'm just that. kidding. I don't know what those words mean.
1: Well, you have a Virgo rising, so.
0: <laughs> That's why I don't know what those words mean. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like the writing was very empathetic to him in that moment mm. to let him explain why he holds I know. onto these, these visions of propriety so tightly. I
1: thought it was very conservative, but also like... I'm not someone who would, like, tomorrow I'm not going to wake up and be like, I think I want to be a deacon, <laughs> you know? So, I think it's a very, I think it's very true to his character. And you're right. It does really kind of, like, solidify. He has this, like, this is the way things are done kind of an attitude.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Actually,
1: extremely. Yeah. Not kind of.
0: Yeah. Um, Okay. One last thing I wanted to bring up.
1: Wait, we have to talk about the blowjobs and milk, though. (laughs) I have never seen anyone, nor have I in my own life, sat down with a glass of milk (laughs) and been like, you know what? I want to watch two sergeants sucking dick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've never had that moment. Am I shaming someone right now?
0: A little bit. A little bit. I think.
1: Oh, I don't want that then. I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting move. I think that's a very real moment, though.
0: I was just going like, to say,
1: what what is the strange in the years when I would just masturbate? Like, what detritus would I leave around? You know, like.
0: Oh my god, I wondered how many people resonated with that sense of this is masturbation is okay for me to do because I'm doing it at the very end of the day. I have all my clothes laid out for tomorrow. I've I've got my little rag, so I'm going to clean everything up. It's not going to cause undue mess, literal or figurative.
1: Also, Federico?
0: So Federico gets a call, apparently from Matt Gillardi, surreptitiously looks around and says, I'm listening. I know. What's up? What are we talking about? It was a
1: little dramatic, but...
0: It was very, very dramatic. But mm-hmm. that was maybe the second time so far where we see something happen that there's no payoff for in the same episode. Totally. The other one is when Tracy shows up at the funeral home with her little newspaper and oh my God. crosses off the fissures and then goes off to who knows what. We don't find out until the next episode that it's because she's lightly stalking David. <laughs> right. Um, and in this one, that Federico scene... Seems to be playing the same role. Another thing about this episode, after last week when I waxed Six Feet Under's car for never doing exterior establishing shots. I know
1: they did one random one.
0: There were four. Four? Four. One of the outside of the funeral home on the night that Hiram's making dinner. One of the outside of the church when Victor has his funeral. And a couple other ones. So, and I I don't know if I would have noticed it, except for the fact that I made such a big deal out of it right. last time. Do you
1: think that they're still, at this point in the show, they were still kind of like tweaking what is our look?
0: I think they're still tweaking some things, because this is the other thing I wanted to ask you about, is what did you make of Claire yeah. going into mental reverie and making her teacher's head explode or seeing her classmates' future? I think I know why they're doing that, but... You didn't like it when Claire had the fantasy of being in the ball gown and dancing after she and Dave Are you yeah. kidding
1: me? That <laughs> felt very, That felt so, what's the word? Like incongruous?
0: Mm-hmm. So what did you make of it in this?
1: I didn't like it. Because I don't mind when David talks to the dead. That feels more on brand for the show. But for Claire to just like... Have a moment of clairvoyance and see – have a (laughs) moment of clairvoyance and see her classmates' futures and have her teacher's head explode. I don't know. It just felt – it felt a little too indulgent, I think. And I get that they're trying to portray, like, what Claire is thinking. But would I prefer it over, like – you know when sometimes they just, like, have the actor, like, do a talk over – Like a voiceover? Like a voiceover. I don't know which one I prefer.
0: I like the idea that she's able to do that. It's just that I don't like watching it happen. I
1: think it's just that we don't, she's not the protagonist and we don't see that with anybody else.
0: The thing I like about it is we have seen for seven episodes now Claire flailing about for some way to give order to her world, which feels like it's constantly besieged by sad people or crisis or people treating her poorly. And she can't figure out and, and she tries stealing the foot. She tries acting out in these other ways. And I like the idea that she seems to be little by little finding a language for herself, which is this very heightened expressionistic Way of interpreting what's going on around her,
1: right? I'm curious if that's queuing us up for. I think I know she wants to go to art school. Okay, that's I the think thing. That I, was, I think that's what was said.
0: That's the thing I was dancing around. Is I think that's why they're doing it. Yeah. Is they're they're setting us up for the fact that, and you know, she's reading Carlos Castaneda in this, who right. loves psychedelics. So I think they're they're queuing us up for the idea that Claire is going to be the one who gives expressionistic form. To all of the traumas of being a member of the Fisher family. Can you drive
1: me home? I just... If we're going in the same direction. Yeah. If not, I'll I'll get an Uber. Wouldn't that be weird if I took an Uber home at this point?
0: I would be so sad. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like to tell the people about... The other work that you do?
1: Yes. I am the host of a podcast called Strangers Abroad, and it is a travel narrative podcast, which is great because you can't travel right now, or at least you shouldn't. So since we cannot travel right now, it is a great way for you to mentally escape and, I don't know, maybe put on a YouTube background of, like, shots of <laughs> Tulum or Bali or whatever bougie. Yes, yes. Place that you want to go to the moment we're able to travel again, and I am pivoting and I am coming out with a third season, kind of not so soon, but it is going to be a different format, and I'm super jazzed about it.
0: I look forward to it, as I know all of the fish heads out there are also looking forward to it. I really don't want to call them fish. (laughs) They probably don't want me to call them fish heads. I, too, have another podcast. It is called Family Ghosts. I hope that you will listen to it. We recently began our fourth season with a true crime story featuring a sort of a guest appearance by David Simon, creator of The Wire. Check it out. Check it out.
1: It's honestly, I know I'm a little biased, but that was a really good episode. I The first one of season four is really
0: good. I will accept the compliment even if it is biased. If you would like to send us an email, please do that, ffg at walt.fm. Please leave us a review in the podcast player of your choosing. We would appreciate that as well. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.